Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, your, your word is so practical and so helpful to us. It is meant to show us your ways. It is meant to point us to you. It is meant to help us live life as you intend it to be. And we thank you that it is because of Christ that we have hope of finding what life is really all about. So Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look into this portion of your word, take some of the thoughts that have been bouncing around in my head and heart here for the last couple of days, and I pray that they might be, as I sow them here among us, that they might land in our hearts and bring about fruit, that you might be praised. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. A number of years ago, there was a cartoon in New York Magazine, and it uh, depicted two butterflies, and they're facing each other, and the one butterfly is speaking to the other, and he says something like this. He says, yes, it's true, you're a butterfly now, but you still think like a caterpillar. There have been radical changes that took place in these two insects, from the time in which they are caterpillar to where they are at that moment of being butterflies. One time they were what? Just crawling along on their bellies, left into a small world of creatures that all they do is crawl on the, on the ground. But now as butterflies are able to fly in any direction all over the place, their world no longer limited to crawling on a branch or leaf. Now they can soar above the world from an elevated perspective. Their thinking obviously did not change along with their outward transformation. I want us to think about thoughts and mindsets this morning. What's on your mind? The Bible talks a lot about mindsets and different ways of thinking. It can contrast, boil them all down, and there's really two categories of our mindsets. According to Romans 8, it says in Romans 8 that unbelievers set their minds on the things that are having to do with their flesh, the things that appeal to their sinful nature, the things that are, have nothing to do with God. It has to do with themselves and their enjoyment of the world apart from God. But those who are according to the Spirit, Romans 8 says, they set their minds on things of the Spirit. The Bible assumes that we who are made alive in Christ, we have a different mindset than those who are unregenerate, to those who are uninterested in the things of God. No surprise that when you look previously in the book of Philippians, if you take your page right there, or if you've got a page, or if you can take the screen and scroll down a little earlier, look at chapter 3. It's interesting to see how Paul contrasts those who were not walking in the truth, those who were enemies of the gospel. He says in verse 19 of chapter 3, he said, they set their minds on earthly things. They love this world and the things of this world. And that's where they live. That's what they think about. That's what they obsess over. That's what they're focused on. I wonder what would you say about your thought life? What does it reveal about you? If you could convert your thoughts and translate them into some sort of digital monitor that would reveal what you're thinking at any one particular time, 
what would your thoughts look like? For some of us, it's probably lots of food, lots of carbs is my problem, but that's, that's beyond another matter. What would, most, what would be the most common thought on the screen of your mind? Rehearsing over again, again and again, some regret from your past? Or is the screen of your mind displaying envious longings and thoughts about other people and realizing how frustrating it is that you cannot do or enjoy or you're not able to do what they are able to do or enjoy? Or do you find yourself somehow being constantly obsessing over the last posting that went on your social media and therefore you're thinking about what was just uh, revealed there or what you're going to respond to this one and you're just constantly thinking about that and what your, what your image looks like in social media? Or perhaps on the screen of your mind are fear-filled meditations about your future, just dreading what's coming ahead because it's unknown. And that perhaps you're thinking, all I see looking ahead is problems. More health problems, more financial problems, whatever it is. What would you say have been the most recent thoughts that you've added to your memory bank? Don't get me started. i got a lot I can tell you about in the last two days uh, for my memory bank about a grandson, but we won't go there. But for some of us, the things that we're adding to our memory bank are not helpful. What we're adding to our memory bank for some of us is maybe lyrics of songs that have these crude and profane words that you have now downloaded into your mind and you just sing along with the songs as you listen to them. Perhaps for others of us, it's some sort of funny lines of message that you get from a movie you recently watched, which probably isn't even a true statement, but you thought it was clever. Perhaps some of us are filling our minds with images that are sexually explicit, some kind of fantasies that we've been fueled by pornography. What is it that occupies your imagination? What would you say speaks most into your life? What is the most influential person in your life? Your parents? Your friends? Your family? Entertainment media? Social media? Get this, listen to what Paul Tripp says. Paul Tripp says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. I want us to consider two principles about our thought life this morning. And I've just got them in two headings, so if you take notes, here's point number one, just to make it very clear. What we think about exerts a tremendous influence on our emotions and our actions. What we think about exerts tremendous influence on our emotions and actions. Now, this is pretty fundamentally pretty, almost like, duh. It's like a, oh, really? But I just want to make this point because if you look at the command here in Philippians 4, verse 8, it's interesting to notice the context in which we find it. It doesn't just appear in the third chapter or the first chapter. It's coming now at this part of the book. And notice what came at the beginning 
part of chapter 4, which is a major new section there. Notice he says the word therefore. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Stand firm in the Lord. The verb there should be translated, keep on standing firm in the Lord. So what he's talking about here, the concern of Paul's mind is, I want you to be a spiritually um, stable person in your life in Christ. Spiritual stability is what he's really concerned about. And I would argue that spiritual stability involves several of the common he makes just past that statement in verse 1. For example, in verses 2 and 3, part of the idea of spiritual stability involves forging harmonious relationships with other believers. You're not going to be very stable if you haven't figured out to work through those kinds of difficulties among believers. Another point, verse 4, is stability, spiritual stability involves finding joy in Jesus, no matter what's happening around you. Spiritual stability is also found by learning to forbear other people because dealing with people is not easy because everybody is imperfect and everybody has all kinds of faults. I didn't get an amen on that, but that's a true statement. Verses 6 and 7, another thing if you're going to be spiritually stable in life is to fight against the worrisome thoughts that seem to always are, uh, be battling in our hearts as to who are you going to trust. Are you going to trust in God or are you going to trust in yourself to control life around you? And lastly, we come to what? Spiritual stability means that we must fortify our minds with a renewed thought life. We have to be aware of what our thinking is focused on and what we're allowing to be entertained in our minds. I wonder if you've ever played this silly, and I mean it is a silly, ridiculous, and could be dangerous little relay I don't know exactly what you call it, but it's, it's called, some people call it bat spin replay, re, relay. It's where you take a baseball bat, you're standing in line, and you're, it's your turn, so you run up to a place that's, what, 30 feet away, and you put the baseball bat down on the ground, and then you proceed to uh, have your head down like this, and spinning around with your head down about five, ten times, and then watch out, right? Because what happens? Well, your mind is disoriented, and now without spinning around and around while you're leaning over, then what happens is you're trying to come back with the bat to the group where you're supposed to be in line, and you think you're going there, but you're really going way over here, and eventually you fall down, look like you're completely out of it, and it's rather hilarious, but it could be dangerous. But what's wrong? It's because the mind is still spinning. It's disoriented. And I think what Paul is saying here is that he's concerned that we need to have our minds and our mental focus. It is, has a dramatic impact on how we're doing spiritually. It has a dramatic impact on how we're dealing with life and the kind of emotions that we find coming out of us and our actual actions and the things that we actually do comes out of our thought life. Our self-talk, our imaginations have a big impact. It has a big impact if you live a life that's joyless. Or whether you have a joy-filled life, I would argue a lot of that has to do with what you're thinking about, what you believe and what you are focused on in your thought life. Same thing with whether or not you say, well, I tend to live a life that's just, I'm constantly worried about this or this or this. 
perhaps that's the evidence of something going on in your life in terms of your thoughts, your heart. What a difference it is to live a life that's that way versus a, a life of contentedness, a life of peace. As he says there in verse 7, where our minds are guarded from all sorts of worried thoughts. I've been thinking back to the example of the 10 spies, the 10 out of the 12, who went into the promised land and they were scouting it out. They were looking at the, what's, what's it like, what's the, what's the lay of the land, what kind of things are we going to have to deal with as we move in together based on what God has told us to do. So they come back and the 10 of them gave a report. This is the, the report of the majority. And they say, listen, there is no way we're going to be able to go into that promised land because the people who live there, mm-mm, they are too strong for us. They, we are like grasshoppers compared to these great, incredibly strong and rather tall soldiers and people who inhabit the land. I vote, don't go. That's the ten report of the ten. What was the report of the other two spies? Well, they said things like, well, we went to the same place and we said, listen, the land is exceedingly great. It's a great place to live. And the Lord is going to bring us into the land. He's with us. And don't be afraid of all these giants and people that are tall and impressive and intimidating. Now, both groups saw what? The same things. They saw the same people. But one group allowed their minds to what? Zero in on the problems. Their minds were obsessed with the difficulties they were going to face as they went into the promised land. The other two spies did what? Their minds are focused on what? God is here. God is the one that's going to call us. He's called us to go in. God is the one who's promised we're going to make it. And if God wants us in the land, he's going to see to it that we make it. Now, what about your situation? If you're constantly focusing on a mindset that obsesses over other people's faults, if you keep focusing on your own faults, if you are a person who keeps focusing on your failings from the past, and that's what you keep recycling over and over in your mind, I would dare say that your emotional temperature, if you will, of your life is going to have readings that come in the range of what? Discouragement, sadness, sullenness, melancholy. Now, am I saying anything that's too radical here? I don't think so. I think it's pretty straightforward. I don't think it's by accident that the admonition here in this text to keep on thinking on these things, that's the way it should be translated, it's a present tense, keep on thinking about these things. It is found in the same letter that, re, that continually reminds us that we're to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way we're going to have motivation to serve and to make sacrifices for or to honor Jesus Christ if we rarely ever or never think about Him. If we don't ever think about what He's done for us, if we don't think about what He's promised to do, if we don't think about what he's done in the past, we're not going to have any motivation to live for him. And it's no wonder that Paul urged the believers there in Colossians chapter 3. He says to them, in light of the gospel and 
false teaching that you've been hearing. Stop listening to that. Listen to who you are in Christ and what God has done. He then says, keep on setting your minds on the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now that implies that you don't just do it occasionally. It means you don't just have your mind focus on the things above maybe once a week. Sundays around 10.30. But we're to continually concentrate on the awesomeness, the greatness, the glory of God our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ who is in, who is in a position of great honor and glory. He is exalted and enthroned at the God's right hand. Now you say, if you're like me, instead of talking with God in prayer, and rethinking about these things and, and reviewing the glories and grandeur of our God, oftentimes I find myself running in a conversation in my own mind about how inadequate I am or how many times I should have already done what I was supposed to be doing, didn't do it yesterday, I still haven't done it today. My thoughts obviously have a great direct bearing on our emotions and our experiences. Can you relate to that? I sure can. So that's just one reason among many reasons why this particular admonition is found in Scripture. Now let's look at the number two, the point number two. First point is it does obviously have great impact on our emotions and our actions. Second point is with the help of God's grace and the gospel, we're to keep our thoughts on a leash. With the grace of God, with the help of the gospel, we're to keep our thoughts on a leash. Now, how many of you walk dogs? How many of you ever walk dog or you know what it means to walk a dog? Okay. I used to walk a dog not once, not twice, usually three times a day. We didn't have a fence around our house, so you have to walk the dog. And so here we go out to walk the dog again and again in the rain, in the snow, whenever it was, we had to go. And so if you go beyond just your front porch and you're going out into, let's say, an area that doesn't have a fence, what are you supposed to be doing with that dog? Put it on a leash, right? And why is that? Because if you're like me, the dog we used to have was not the most obedient dog in the world, and if that dog saw another dog or saw a squirrel or saw whatever, and next thing you know, vroom, gone. I mean, you're calling, you're screaming, and you're thinking, okay, that, that might not see this dog ever again. Because the dog is going to go, start sniffing here, start sniffing there, sniffing things you wish you'd never ever would allow your dog to ever get close to and have access to if the dog were on a leash. And so having the dog, and they have great leashes, don't they now? They, they, they expand, they contract, it's amazing. Anyway, what I'm saying is essentially the same thing if we think about it in a spiritual realm. God is saying if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you intend to have spiritual stability in your relationship with Christ, don't let your mind run loose. Put your thoughts on a leash. Don't let your mind wander all over the place and then settle on anything it wants to. 
We need to direct our minds onto things that are what? And look at the description now in Philippians 4. He starts off with things that are true, honorable, right or righteous, pure, lovely. Admirable is another way to translate that. Next phrase, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. Those are the things you should let your mind rest on, focus on. Now, one of the most important areas of growth for a believer is to exercise restraint in our thought life. It means it's going to take some time for us to work on this skill. It's not something that happens automatically, obviously. We have to, over time, with God's help, we have to sort of learn to retrain our minds to not hang out in the same mental locations, if you will, to muse on the same subject matters that we perhaps in the past may have actually focused on for quite a long time. But we're called by God in view of all that Jesus has done for us in bearing our sin, in purchasing us, in rising from the dead for our justification, that we're to therefore respond to him in light of what he's done for us, Romans 12:1, by saying we are to what? Offer ourselves a living sacrifice, and that involves the idea of renewing our minds. Renewing our minds. They're not to be the same way as they were before. They're now to be changed over time. We're urged in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, to take captive every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So that means, number one, we need to, first of all, stop feeding our minds with things that are impure images. To stop feeding our minds things that are crude and, and that are corrupting. If there's stories that you keep hearing people tell you, okay, don't focus on that anymore. You need to make sure you don't let that be entertained and don't repeat that to other people. If you're hearing things that are dishonest thoughts, you don't want to let those dishonest thoughts, they need to go through the truth detector. You need to let something say, I'm not going to focus on that. That's not true. I don't buy that. Things that are detestable, things that are disgusting, you don't let your mind muse or settle on those things. And so you have to think, it, first of all, you have to watch what's coming into your brain, what's coming into your, into your memory banks. You have to be careful in that area, I think. There's a lot of trash out there that's constantly sending to us messages and images. You can't present, prevent all of them, but you certainly need to be careful of what you're allowing in. Secondly, I would just say, some of you are already saying, and I'm sure, wait a minute, how can I control my mind? Because isn't it true that we all have these strange situations where our mind will be operating sort of, you know, on, on a, we're in a plane where we're working, doing, and all, boom, here comes a thought out of nowhere. Like, where did that come from? All of a sudden, up on the mental display screen of our brain is this crazy thought. You say, and, and you say to me, am I responsible for all these crazy, unplanned thoughts that come out of nowhere? What I'm saying to you is, if it's true that Jesus Christ has redeemed you and bought you with his own blood, he owns you. You are his. And that brain belongs to him. And so your mind is not yours. It belongs to Christ. And he wants you to love 
him with your mind. To focus your thoughts on him. To focus your thoughts on what is compatible with him. He wants our thoughts that really ought to be belonging on a leash. We don't just let them run loose. We seek to, if they are popping in your head, then you deal with that thought at that moment and go back to something you think is more appropriate and get it back into the right area. And one of the things we're urged to do as a believer is to stop letting our minds be governed by lies, things that are not true. We're to think on true things. I'm just taking sort of just the first word of this long list of things today. I'm just going to focus on that, otherwise you could have a sermon that would go on and on. But things that are honest, things that are correct, that's what we should be thinking about. Things that are in accordance with the Word of God. Those are things that you should be on the screen of your mind. We grow up with many lies that we assume are true because we act on them. For example, all of us sort of grow up with the crazy thought and ridiculous thought, when you think about it, of a thought that says, no one will ever know what I do in secret. Now think about that for a minute. We've all acted on that at some point. Maybe some of us still are. No one will ever know what I do in secret. That's not a true statement. Because if you know the Scriptures, you know, and I imagine most of you do, that the Scriptures say Psalm 139, for example, which I've been meditating on here in light of this little baby's been born, been praying for this little child, thinking about what God's doing in the secret places of a womb. It's amazing. But God says, if I say, if David says, if I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light around me will be night. In other words, the darkest place possible, the secret place. Even the darkness is not dark to you, God. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. That's called night vision, right? He sees anything and everything. And then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, there's no creature hidden from God's sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we had to do. So how is it that we, even as adults, can think that we can, on our phones, on our computers, on our pads, on our TV screens, we can somehow watch things and think, well, no one will ever know. So the point I want to start off with is, what are the lies that you tend to believe? Do you assume the lie that says that God will never forgive you for some sad chapter in your life, for some action, some statement you made, something you did, something that you regret now deeply, but you say that that will forever stain my standing with God? My friend, that is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says that God says, confess your sins to God. And if you do so, he is faithful and just to forgive you all sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. One area where we need to retrain our minds from believing the lies that Satan often whispers in our ears has to do with how we view ourselves. We all have an accuser, the devil. And oh, he loves to accuse, to make you feel guilty, to shame you. He loves to point out our failings, our shortcomings. He loves to magnify our sins. That's one of his skill sets. He delights in creating doubts in our minds that God would actually truly, deeply love us. That God would welcome us to come to him just as we are. 
We always think, well, I've got to get my act together, and then, and then he'll love me. Satan keeps trying to convince us that we need to try harder, we need to act better, we need to be stronger, we need to look perfect, we need to perform more consistently, etc., etc., etc. The list goes on and on, right? We forget that God is focused on really who we are. God sees us as our true identity if we are in Christ. This is where the truth makes all the difference in our thought life. I'm going to share with you something that really has helped me. You say, you're a kid. This is the kind of thing that you were doing in Florida? Yes, this is pretty basic, but pretty, something I really needed to work on. The pastor that sort of did some life coaching and discipling with Joyce and me hands me a three-by-five card after he asked me a very revealing question, which I didn't, I guess my answer revealed a lot about what I think and my view of myself, my identity. He asked me a card, and this was on the card. I urge you to write it down, copy it, put it in your notes, and think about it in your own meditating and in your own memory bank of what you're ta- talking about and your self-talk every day. It goes this way. I am a new creation. Because of Christ's redemption, I am a new creation of great worth. Deeply loved. Completely forgiven. Fully pleasing and totally accepted by God and absolutely complete in Christ. Hallelujah. That's truth. And that truth is so helpful to have on the focus of our mind. I'm going to say it again. If you don't get it, I can email it to you, whatever you want to do. I'm sorry it's not in your notes. I, uh, because of Christ's redemption, I am a new creation of great worth, deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted by God, and absolutely complete in Christ. If that is what you're saying to yourself as a Christian every day, that changes the way you move into your day, into whatever you're doing. I'm not sure I can give full credit for who made that statement. I think it may be Robert S. McGee. I've tried to research it. I can't promise you what I found. Anyway, the way to help put our thoughts on a leash is not just merely following a list of do's and don'ts. Because we're all going to fail in that area, aren't we? You can do that, but it doesn't mean you're ever going to have truly pure thoughts or right thoughts. or It doesn't mean your thoughts are only going to focus on excellent things. But there needs to be power. We need to have something that's going to help us in this process. And that power, it seems to me, is found in the gospel of Jesus. Because it's in the gospel that we find the expulsive power of a new affection. In other words, because of the gospel, we have a desire to want to draw closer to Jesus. And the closer I draw to Jesus, the less I want my mind to be filled with all these things that are totally opposite of what he's like. Because when you really think about this text, how can we let our minds meditate on evil imaginations and at the same time have thoughts about Jesus Christ? The one who is what? Every description in this list? The one who is indeed uh, pure and true and honorable, excellent, praiseworthy, those things describe Jesus. 
So if you have Jesus on your mind, then all of these other things are not going to occupy your mind as much. And if they do, then the point is to get back to abide in Christ. Get back to having your mind thinking about what Jesus has done for you and who you are in Him. Meditating on Jesus and His saving work on the cross, His victorious triumph over the grave and sin, provides, it seems to me, a powerful incentive to rein in our thoughts from straying into those things that are impure, dishonorable, detestable, crude, corrupt, and dishonest. So I'll end my sermon with a question. What's on your mind? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for how you have brought these things to my attention here recently in my life. I thank you, Lord, for the wonders of how powerful truth is. That truth helps us to see things more clearly, helps us to give freedom, to set us free. And I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us in our minds, that we would uh, begin to see, Lord, the gospel taking effect and impacting our thinking patterns, what we say in our conversations to ourselves what we choose to do and our attitudes and outlooks and our emotions, Lord, help us, we pray, to have our minds put on a leash, a gospel leash that pulls us toward Christ. And Lord, if there's someone here today whose mind has been duped by the evil one to think that somehow they'll never be right with you, someone who's past and whose failings and who for whatever reason, feels ashamed and feels as though they would never, ever be good enough for you. Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand the glories of the gospel. It's because of Christ that we find our, our standing and our acceptance before you. I pray that you would help them to place their faith unreservedly in Jesus Christ and him alone. Help them to trust in him, not in themselves, and to glory in his victorious work in paying for their sin and rescuing them from the evil one. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us who know you, that we might consider the importance of renewing our minds. Help us to memorize your word. Help us to, uh, to know and repeat truth to ourselves daily. And we pray, Lord, we might love you, not only with our strength, not only with our heart, but Lord, help us to love you with all of our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.